Hello everyone, my name is Blake Holmes and I'd like to thank you first off by clicking on this episode of Taking Heat, whether you're on YouTube or Spotify, thank you once again. And I know it has been a minute since the last episode has been updated. Basically what was going on was there were some a few things that happened between our last episode and now. First, we had some audio issues when it came to uh, when it came to converting the episode from one computer to another. So it seemed like there were some audio issues that I was working through. And then right when I was in the end of getting through it, I ended up actually testing positive for COVID-19 and I have been out for the past week. But so this episode is a little bit older. Obviously, it's about a week and a half old, but we just wanted to go ahead and get this one up since we didn't miss that week. Again, we do apologize for the delay as far as that goes. There's just a lot of things happening at once. And we will be right back to the regular schedule starting this week. Uh, so we are looking forward to that. So just want to go ahead and hop on here. Make this quick disclaimer before the video starts. As always, if you want to see more, click the link in the description to, our, to the YouTube channel or... Check out the rest of the episodes on Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube and you'd rather listen on Spotify, you can find that link in the description as well. Be sure to follow our socials, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the podcast on Spotify, hit the like button, all that self-promotion stuff. And once again, I want to go ahead and say thank you for sticking around and being patient with us as we have been working through these issues. So, we got a great episode ahead for you, and I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, welcome into episode 7 of Taking Heat. Hard to believe we're already 7 episodes in. My name is Blake Holmes, and I'm joined here tonight by my, my panelists, co-hosts, whatever you want to call them, Cameron Woolwine, Logan Porter, and a very special guest this week, Trevor Tidwell, former World Retreat baseball player with myself back in high school. Um, I just realized we never did like a background on all of our, of our sports yeah. pass in the first episode. We probably should do that at some point, but... Regardless, uh, you know our you know our voices. You like I said, you've had us for seven episodes now, so we are excited to get back and get it going. We are talking this week on the worst sports calls in sports history. Now, I want to go ahead and start this episode with a caveat and a preface by saying three out of the four of us have experience as umpires and referees in other sports. We know how hard it is, um, and and Trevor, of course, again, you've played sports you've seen it in the past how hard of a job it is to be an official at the highest level so the main takeaway from this episode should not be that we are dunking on officials and saying that they have you know that they need to be better and that they are uh, that they're dumb for this that is by far the case it's one of the hardest jobs in sports to do and we are just highlighting those moments that was pretty obvious it should have went the other way but Again, officiating, a very hard job. Big respect to all the major league umpires, all the professional uh, referees in any sport as far as that goes. Um, just just want to cover our bases because, again, we know what it's like to umpire just regular league games, so I can only imagine what it's like for a professional league. I was going to say, I, I missed calls, and it's like the lowest level of sports. Like, <laughs> And and uh, some may say that the audience in a rec league sports, sports oh, uh, Lord. And they are they oh. are as volatile as everywhere. But yeah. again... Uh, I was going to say, I'd, I'd, prob I'd probably rather ref in the NFL <laughs> than have to go back to youth league sports. Oh. Well, <laughs> we do have that experience, and so, again, props to all the officials out there, but... These are calls that really there's no there's no excuse. These should have been made and these should have or in one way or another. Again, 
This is episode number seven. If you have not caught up with us or if you'd like to go back and view some of the older episodes, you can do so. If you're watching on YouTube, click the subscribe button and click the channel link down below. All the podcast episodes are on there. And if you're listening on Spotify, again, we are on Spotify now. Every episode of Taking Heat is available at any time that you would like. So, once again, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, just some small talk, I guess, between you guys. How is how is your Wednesday night going for y'all? Well, uh, I guess I'll start out. Uh, it's great to be back um, at home. I had a, a good vacation. I got a little sick, but I, I, I should be fine uh, in the coming days. Uh, I'm just excited to get back into the swing of things. Uh, um doing these every week it gets it gives me an excuse to kind of broaden my horizons in sports and and learn about things that i didn't know about before and um i know i'm kind of considered the one that just kind of chooses a different sport each time we talk but uh i think i think it's interesting to broaden your horizon horizons and see stuff no i completely agree it's a it's been a good wednesday this week's been kind of busy for me. I went down to Spartanburg to see the Panthers training camp, getting ready for football season, which is right around the corner. And I know most of us are very thankful for that. Got to watch Baker Mayfield in action as he's obviously on a new team. And eventually I know we'll have a podcast talking about things like this, but it's just been a busy week. And as Logan said, it's going to be good to get back into the swing of things. And we have a good episode this week, real, uh, real heater. So Trey, I'm going to go ahead and say, ask you this as the special guest this week. How prepared are you both from a sports standpoint and just from a mental standpoint talking to us this week for an hour? Oh, boy. <laughs> so I feel like I'm highly unqualified to be here. Uh, I feel like generally I'm a big baseball guy. Um, but other than that, I don't watch a ton of sports. Uh, so my segment today is, of course, going to be on baseball. Um but I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that this kind of opens my door to other sports as well. Um, like I said, I don't watch a ton of anything else other than baseball, so um, I feel moderately prepared. We will see. I'm a dumb encyclopedia when it comes to stuff like this, so you should just go ahead and be prepared for that. Last week, I was able to call off when the NCAA ba- first NCAA basketball tournament was. Off the top of my and, head, and, and the winner, it. and the winner, yeah. yes. Um, so, stupid stuff like that. But we are going to go ahead and get started, and I hope that we can help broaden your horizons as well. So, as always, um, for those of you watching on the YouTube channel, you may see on the right side I do have the wheel up that has myself, Logan, and Cam's name. I have one ahead, and since Trev is the guest of the week, I have one ahead and put him at the end, so that gave him the opportunity to go um, and and go after everybody else. So. Myself, Logan, and Cam on the wheel. Again, for Spotify listeners, it is on the right side of the screen. So, spinning the wheel to see who will be presenting their take first. It will be myself. So, I will be leading us off um, and going from there. So, to set the scene a little bit again, I talked about this a couple of episodes ago. How it seems like, intentionally or unintentionally, there seem to be themes coming up. Uh, with everybody here so like you know, the perfect example is myself again I don't you know Trev you, you talked about how you're a uh, just basically uh, just a baseball fan I am a ba- you know, I am a fan of a ton of different sports but I, my mind always seems to go to baseball 
and it has been for this is episode seven i believe about four out of the six or some number like that have been about baseball for me and that's not going to change tonight um there's and I get I don't want to harp on officials too much, but it seems like there are more missed calls in sports strictly because or in baseball strictly because of the amount of responsibility that is put on an umpire. It's not so much you know when you're an NBA. The other thing as well is in the NBA, the action is consistently going. It's all it's going all the time. In the NFL, there are a ton of different officials at that point. Um, and the the blame gets shifted among them. But with this one, with baseball, and in this case, the most you'll have, I believe, in playoff games, they will have nine umpires. Or excuse me, yes. So they'll have they'll have seven umpires, and they'll have um, a first base umpire, a second base umpire, a third base umpire, a home plate umpire, and then on the on the um, on the. For on the baselines, they may have one there, but at most of the time, especially at the professional level, you have four umpires. Uh, so fewer umpires, and again, you have so much responsibility. Everything that happens within a game is reliant on you and the decisions you make as an umpire. And the difference is, as well, of course, this is the same with every official, every single sport. You only get to see it once unless there's some sort of replay review. And in baseball, that makes it uh, it's harder than in other sports because things, one, happen so fast, and two, because things happen by such a slim margin of error. It is so hard. And again, we all have experience. Trevor, you played first base. The three of us, we've umpired as well. It is so hard to tell in some scenarios who beat, who got to first base first. Was it the throw or was it the runner? Was it uh, you're sliding into home? Who did he beat the slide? Did he not? Uh, things like that. A, a ball that's just the slightest millimeter off the plate. Do you call it a strike or do you call it a ball? It's one of those things. that's just there's so many things, so many factors that go into it. This is a very long-winded way of saying that this is going to be about baseball, and it's a very notorious call in in baseball history. So to set the scene, we have to go back 12 years ago to June 2nd, 2010. This is a baseball game, a regular season game. Um, when I was deciding which one to do, I had a couple in mind too. I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to go with, uh, it wasn't a bad call, it was the worst call because of the moment. You know, a, pl- a moment where it just seems like this should happen. Uh, you need to get this call right uh, in this, in, you know, in the World Series and whatever it is. Or did I want to go with the call that was just the most egregious? A perfect example what I can think of was Todd Helton for the Colorado Rockies, a throw is thrown to first base, and he is a clear three feet off the bag, not even close to it as the first base, and they call the runner out anyways when he catches it. Um, but I decided to go with one that I think is actually a good merging of the two, and that is a game between the Tigers and the Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians in 2022, but uh, a 3-0 ball game for the Detroit Tigers. At first glance, there's not much about this game that really jumps off the page. There's not one that you, know, you look at the box score, or you look at just the score in general, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, how could this have possibly gone wrong? Well, what if I told you it wasn't the result of the game for who won it, but based on it changed the significance historically of this game for for forever? Uh, uh. Armando Galarraga is the starting pitcher of for the Detroit Tigers, and he has a perfect game going through nine innings and two outs. So nine point two, uh, uh, 
you know, nine and two-thirds of an inning, or excuse me, eight and two-thirds innings. He is trying to do something that has, it is by far the most rare thing in baseball. Um, very few pitchers have ever done it. And so he is one out away from not just no hitting the Cleveland Indians, but getting a perfect game against them. Um, batter hits a slow dribbler out to first base. Miguel Cabrera comes up to field it. And when he does, Galarraga does exactly what he is supposed to as a pitcher. Leaves the mound, comes and covers first base. The throw is made, and the throw is there. Galarraga makes the catch. Foot on the bag. A full step before the base runner. The entire crowd, it's in Detroit. The entire crowd erupts. Miguel Cabrera starts jumping up and down, cheering for his teammate. The entire Tigers team just starts going berserk. Except Jim Joyce, the first base umpire, calls the runner safe. And for those of you that are unfamiliar out there with how a perfect game works, again, it's a little bit different. A no-hitter is when you have no base hits in a game, but you got a base runner on. So you have a walk, you have an error, a hit-by-pitch, something along those lines. A perfect game is when you have allowed no base runners. 27 batters up, 27 batters down. That's a perfect game. Um, again, one of the most, I think, in my opinion, the most rare thing in MLB history. Not only does that play take away the perfect game, but it also takes away the no-hitter because that's classified as an infield single, a base hit, taking away Galarraga's perfect game bid and no-hit bid all in one egregious call. For reference, Jim Joyce, the first base umpire who made this, he's not a bad umpire. Um, yeah, he's he's not the best in MLB, but he's all, he's not on the same level as names like Angel Hernandez and Joe West was. He is very much um, a middle of the road umpire. He knew he made the mistake at the end of the game because when he went and talked to Galarraga after, he was actually crying and apologizing profusely because he figured out and he knew what he had done wrong. Um, Again, not to say, you know, these things happen. And Galarraga was super cool with it. He was saying at the end of the game, you know, nobody's perfect. As funny, you know, I don't know if there was a pun intended with that, but nobody's perfect. And it's just one of those things to where uh, Galarraga was a lot cooler with it than some may have thought. But to put into reference of how rare a perfect game is, there have been over, yeah, over the entire course of Major League Baseball, there have been 23 total perfect games in Major League Baseball history. Uh, for reference, they, when it comes to cycles, so if a, if a batter hits a single, double, triple, or a home run all in one game, that's considered hitting for the cycle. One of the hardest things to do, and the rarest thing to do for a hitter, um, aside from maybe going yard four times in a game or something like that, 339 times that has happened over MLB history. Only 23 perfect games in MLB history. In my opinion, there was 24, because if you go back and, and I consider this a perfect game, by the technical definition, he did get 27 batters out, um, whether or not that was called or not, in my opinion, because, again, that would have ended the game right there. But 23 official perfect games. It's also This one's also called the 28-out perfect inning, or the 28-out perfect game, or the near-perfect game because of this. But... Jim Joyce making the mistake that he did 
Um, and if you look it up online again, you can see it was not even really close. It wasn't. It was a bang bang play, but it really was not by much. One that MLB umpires should not be missing. And it took Armando Galarraga from a from winning a or from from a perfect game all the way down to what well, still is a great performance, a shutout on also on only eighty eight pitches in this game. So he was he was a monster. He was unbelievable in this game. And his efforts were not rewarded, all because of the one mistake at first base. I will say that's that was definitely a great way to start off. First off, um, and like you say, it was a near perfect game. the The whole premise of it is that because you were talking about Jim Joyce, and this is pretty much the only reason I know who Jim Joyce is was this play. And um, I was I was looking at some stuff on the side looking over the game and it, when you watch it i mean it's you see umpires call that like you like you said it was a foot behind you've seen them call it closer and it's be correct but it, it, it was and he was upset obviously after the game because it was it would have been a perfect game and you <laughs> he would have been there to witness it but it you know sometimes it, you get caught up and it's it was the last uh out of the game, it would have been. It's unbelievable to me, too, because I've said this before to everybody I've talked to. If I'm Jim Joyce in that scenario, that the thing that gets me about this call, too, is he had to be 100% certain in that moment that he thought the runner was out or the runner was safe because I've said this before. If this make, made me, make me a bad umpire, I don't care. If I'm in that scenario, there is no way that I am calling him safe Unless it is blatantly obvious that he is safe. Because what's going to happen if you got that call wrong and he was out and, and you called him out when he was safe by half a step or a quarter of a step? The worst thing is you're going to draw the ire from some angry Cleveland fans for maybe a couple of days. Um and then at that point again, the the no the perfect game gets an asterisk put get put on it. And I see a lot of people try to say, like, well, I wouldn't do that because theoretically the 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 Indians still had a chance in that game. They had no offense. They were they were still down three to nothing. It wasn't it wasn't like it was a one run game where just a bloop single would have been perfect for them. They still had to get more base runners on with two outs to go. If I'm Jim Joyce, I, I and again maybe he thinks differently than I do, but if I'm in that scenario, he has to be blatantly safe for me to not call him out at that point. So the fact that he went and still called him safe, even when that situation is going on, he literally took away one of the rarest things, and again, in my opinion, the rarest thing in MLB history, a perfect game, because of, I'm not sure what he saw, but again, it's it, it's not close. Yeah, so question for you, Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, I actually saw a clip of this like earlier this week before you asked me to be on uh i just thought it was kind of appropriate um but you said this was in 2010 correct that is correct they introduced video reviewing in 2008 is that right so they did but it was not a coach's challenge a coach could not Uh... go out and that's what's frustrating about this too is you know this day and age and this age of mlb baseball that doesn't happen this doesn't yeah. happen. Coaches challenge it. It gets reviewed. It's done. The The replay review was uh, 
the way it was really used, mostly it was used in the postseason, whenever it was in the, the, the moments were bigger, but two, the only times I ever really saw it get used back in these times was for fair and foul balls to see if they could see how far, you know, if, if where it landed in the outfield just in case um, one of those situations were to happen. Uh, and also, I believe it may have been used for see if runners had left early and things like that. But it, there were very specific, there were very specific protocols, and there were ways that it had to be activated, and that they, it, something like this on a bang bang play, as frustrating as it is, it was not allowed to be eligible to be reviewed back in this time. Okay, that that makes sense. It's just, it is it is kind of sucked that they introduced like the video replay stuff, but not for this purpose at that point this was the i feel like a call like this was should have been the entire reason that it existed i mean that's why it exists in the nfl is so coaches have the ability to say hey not even say hey i think you're wrong i just hey can you take a second look at this because exactly again if this happened in today's mlb where coaches have the ability to challenge calls and challenges exist in every sport these days you go back you look you you look at the nba the coaches get one challenge per game that they can use towards the end of a game nfl gets two mlb gets it until they lose a challenge so then they can't lose anymore um soccer has var as well i mean there is or football if that's how you for if that's how you say it again it's frustrating because I, th- I feel like this is one of those uh, situations to where the MLB learned from their mistake, and that's why the ML- the replay is the way it is. I think this played a bigger part in it than they wanted to let lead us on to believe. But exactly. One of the most frustrating things about this call is in this day and age with MLB, this doesn't happen. Cam, any other arguments or questions? going to mention i i've not heard about this before but i was going to mention the fact that uh all these leagues are trying to change the replay and like challenging like i feel like the challenging in each sport has changed a little bit especially in recent years just because of missed calls like these like obviously the nfl has seen a change in how they do challenges and like what they're able to review same way with nba and what they're able to challenge so i just feel like um, obviously you chose a really great one to start off on, but I'm just, I think this is a good segment in general because we're going to be speaking about games that honestly probably have changed how these leagues have done replaying and how they have done challenges from a coach's point of view. So that's just something I wanted to mention is. The significance, yeah, the impact that these games have on their sports cannot be understated. Again, these are just, monumental moments in officiating it changing the way we look at some calls all the way down from basketball baseball football whatever it is every sport has replay to be able to change plays like this so unless i have any other counter arguments or questions i can spin the wheel between logan and cam to see who goes second i think i've said all i needed to say all right, I've spun the wheel, and it will be Cam who is presenting his take next. So, Cam, go ahead. The floor is yours. All righty, I'm going to uh, I'm going to kind of continue what I was just talking about by speaking on the championship game between the Rams and the Saints. This is a notorious no call for a pass interference that honestly changed how the review systems worked in the NFL. So, for some backstory. 2019, Rams-Saints championship game. Winner of this game goes to the Super Bowl. 
They're playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is in New Orleans. 2020 ball game in the fourth quarter. Minute and a half left. Drew Brees is on the 13-yard line. Running back out of the backfield. Runs a route. Gets absolutely demolished before he even has a chance to catch the ball. This stadium was going absolutely insane. I watched this game live, just to preface this. He gets absolutely laid out. It's Tommy Lee Lewis gets tackled by Nicole Roby Coleman. And this call, not being called, eventually forces the Saints to have to take a field goal, which it puts them up 23-20. Rams come down the field, kick a field goal, send it to overtime with the Rams eventually winning in overtime, advancing to the Super Bowl. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because this is one of the most obvious missed calls in NFL history. I mean, this is there's not even a debate. The player who even did it said after the game that it was a pass interference. Sean Payton, coach as a saint, came out, pretty much said it was a pass interference, which is odd because normally coaches don't really speak on things like that i mean obviously they'll occasionally mention like a missed call or something like that but for him just to come straight out and be like yes this is a missed call this is something the league needs to look at and obviously roger goodell eventually had to speak on it because i mean sports world was going crazy if you all haven't seen it i would definitely recommend watching this play i mean it was ridiculous watching and obviously saints fans are uh had bad luck in the playoffs with officiating, so this just continued that trend. I definitely say, because I remember watching it when it happened, um, and a lot of the times, like, when there's, like, a passive interference, a pass interference call, and you see it, like, sometimes it's not as obvious, and so you think, oh, well, you know, maybe he just didn't see it, or something like that, but, I mean, it's, it's, astonishing to believe that there was no way that that wouldn't have been seen. I mean, it was seen by the entire sports world. This was the equivalent. I'll, I'm going to say that I'll, I'll give the, I don't know if I'm allowed. I would just go ahead and play it at this point for YouTube viewers, but I'm not sure. I, I don't believe copyright, especially NFL is very notorious when it comes to copyright on their footage and things like that. But I want to go ahead and, and, and give a description here for those of you that haven't seen it or are familiar it is a pass interference call, like Cameron said, a flat route towards the end zone that resembles in the WWE when you threw someone into the ropes and then they clothesline somebody at the goal line. That's basically what happened. Uh, Nickel Robbie Coleman comes up and lights up Tommy Lee Lewis, seemingly out of nowhere, sends him horizontal in the air, but way before the ball gets there, and no call. So, uh, yeah. Typical, prototypical choice here. Kind of, kind of like in like old cartoons when they'd have the cane around the neck and they'd pull them off stage, like. <laughs> or when they'd get hit by oh. a board and they'd be full on horizontal in the horizontal. Air. I yeah, mean, it's, <laughs> this is a great choice because exactly, exactly like you said, it's it's blatantly obvious at all times that the that Tommy Lee Lewis gets absolutely destroyed on this play and there's no call. And obviously, there are, um, there are countless calls in NFL history we could choose, but this is one that I think is more recent, and obviously, like, the ball wasn't even close. I mean, every replay you watch, the ball's still midair when he's getting tackled. It's 
it's just one of those calls where you're kind of just wondering what the refs were looking at. I mean, obviously, like we had mentioned before, we're not going to sit here and bad talk refs because we understand that these are challenging calls to make. But at the same time, a call like this being missed, it kind of makes you wonder something uh, something was obviously missed. It, and like I said, this is a game that eventually would cause the NFL to have to look into pass interference calls. They tried to um, implement like a rule system to get pass interference calls reviewable, but they had uh, they had tried it, but they didn't officially put into like action. They did allow teams to challenge pass interference for a season, and I think what they found out was. You know, pass interference is one of those calls. It's kind of the same thing to me between a block and a charge in basketball where unless it's blatantly obvious they missed it, an official is not going to go against it because they can find ways to define that they were right in one way. Obviously, it makes the officials look not good if they have to change calls. Um, And I think the other thing, too, that bothers me about this one that I really like, again, I really like that you brought up this topic because – a lot of people want to say it wasn't that big of a deal in the end because the Saints still got points in the drive, and they had a chance because I believe they got the ball first in overtime in that game. But this is one of those situations. I am one of the biggest believers that a a missed call is not the only reason a team misses that a team loses a game. Uh, sure, it could be one of the main reasons, but there are certain situations. In basketball, there's shots that you could, that you missed that you could have made. In football, there were loss of yards on a play that would have potentially gotten you a first down. Things like that. This is one of the few exceptions to where not only does this missed call set up the Saints because they have to lose the down, incomplete pass, a first down, a, a, you know, the pass and first call would have been a first down. It would have put them right at the right at the goal line. It would have basically meant a touchdown. Now, was there enough time for the Rams to go down and get a touchdown of their own and still go to the Super Bowl? Absolutely. But NFC Championship game, this is to go to the Super Bowl, and not only do you not give this team the advantage they deserve because of the penalty, but you actually end up being a detriment to them because they have to lose the down and take the field goal, which ultimately led to the overtime loss. A call like this also causes a team to lose so much momentum because I feel like after, I don't know if this is like just me, but I feel like if a team has a bad call against them, it kind of makes them lose morale in a way, especially in a situation like this because, I mean, you've watched a player obviously get pass interference against and – I feel like it just takes a little bit of morale away because you almost had the game pretty much in your hands. Obviously, if they get that first down, they can either score the touchdown and go up by seven, or they honestly might have had enough time to chew the clock and force the Rams to have to, you know, make a play. But after seeing that, I mean, like you said, I don't agree. Like, I don't think that this play alone caused the Saints to lose this game. I do think it has a major impact, but. It's just there's a lot of factors that come into a bad call like this. I mean, morale, momentum, because momentum's a big thing in sports, and we've talked about it before. Momentum's honestly the big one of the biggest things in sports that I think people overlook. The fact that people believe momentum doesn't exist blows my mind. Trevor, you can kind of speak on this too, because you, you know we both played on the baseball team back in high school. Whenever an ump gave you a call at the plate that you did not think was right, and it happened in, in our mm-hmm. area. 
it kind of made you feel defeated because you felt like you really didn't, there was nothing you could do to avoid it. Yeah, it just feels like uh, you're up there, you're giving it all, you're all, and then the one bad call just kind of like breaks you down a little bit. And it's like, well, I know I did everything I could, but still like uh, game, uh, game kind of played against me a little bit. And there's not not a whole lot you can do about it. Uh, and like like Cameron said, it does it does bring morale down. Uh, I know in a lot of games, uh, there'll be like a close call or something, or like a uh, a, a missed pitch call, um, and it, it really does bring down not just the player that it happened to, but like the whole team. It really does. It makes because um, you make it makes you think it's like oh well, again they did everything. They, that was the call. That was what they they were. If it, let's say it's a ball that should have been a strike, well, they let it go because they knew it was a ball, and it ends up not. So it's like you said, the, kind of the the cards, the hands stacked against you at that point. Yeah, it's like you're doing everything you can, yet you still, uh, still weren't able to succeed. And Biggest it, thing I think. Oh, sorry, Logan, you go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, and, and a big thing with this is like, um, talking about just momentum. Like it, it's a big it when you have something like that where it's you know you're you're getting side slapped going horizontal um you know it, it, it's obvious that it happened and there was no call about it so obviously it's gonna take the momentum out of your favor it's gonna make everyone angry <laughs> like i mean no one's gonna be happy about that but um when you think about it like this, it, it's such a huge because a lot of people will probably argue like, "Oh, he couldn't have caught the ball anyway, even if he wasn't hit." Some people might argue that, but let's just say, if it's just an overthrown pass, that same kind of momentum shift, it, it's not there. It, it's it. There's a big difference between an overthrown long pass to having a call not go your way like that. So one of, the, uh, one of the biggest things I also wanted to mention from like my point of view from like multiple coaches throughout my life have always told me that you can only control what you can control. And obviously like this, this is across multiple sports, football, basketball, and even my, uh, this might sound weird, but even my theater coach told us this because obviously we were being, you know, placed by different judges when we did these competitions, but there's certain things you can't control. And obviously referees, umpires, judges, all this, like, you can't control what they're going to call. So that's something that like players obviously have to deal with every game is there's going to be calls that are missed. There's going to be calls that don't go your way. It's just being able, I guess, to get over it in a way. I know it sounds kind of like straightforward and blunt, but I guess you just got to try and play through the missed calls. And obviously this is just one that really kind of did determine the outcome of the game to an extent. One of the most one of the most famous moments in NFL history as of recent years, by far. Um, anybody else have any other comments or questions for Cam before we move on? Thank you. I think that was a, a good one to bring up, as it's still it's still pretty fresh in everyone's minds. After <laughs> I mean, because it's still it's still quoted today by especially by Saints fans. Saints fans tried to get a, a clause in the rule book for Goodell to basically become God and replay the game, and uh, I mean there was a lot of a lot of protests going on during that time. So. Uh, they they really did want to replay that game. They were trying. 
really good one. So I make this joke every single episode, but I've spun the wheel again, and it landed on Logan. Uh, Logan, you were the only name on the wheel at this point. So you're, you, I have you, it landed on you, and the floor is yours. All right. I do enjoy having floors, as that is where I get to walk on. Um, but all jokes aside, sports. That's why we're here, right? And I think this moment is one of the biggest moments to ever happen in sports. Because the most popular sport in the world is known as football. Not American football. And I will call it soccer from now on as we are based in America. And it saves some confusion on our end. Um, So apologies to those who would prefer it to be called football or however it is said in your language. But um, in 1986, in the FIFA World Cup quarterfinal, there was a moment called the hand of God. All right. So here's a little bit of background. Argentina is facing off against England. All right. Now, a little bit of backstory for this little bit of rivalry between these two teams. Four years before this match, there was a war between Argentina and England. It was called the Falkland Wars. All right. And it was uh, it was over the Falkland Islands. And, um, you know, Argentina did not suffer very well in this war. Uh, they, they lost and had a lot of captured soldiers and, but I digress coming into this matchup. There's still a little bit of tension between these two teams. Uh, they're in Mexico city, um, playing in this FIFA world cup final or not final quarter final. And it's scoreless going into the second half. So six minutes are passed and Diego, Diego Maradona, who is a legendary soccer player, goes to contest the ball that was shot up for him against the goalkeeper from England named Peter Shilton. Now, Peter Shilton was 20 centimeters taller than Diego Maradona. Uh, just And for those of you from Imperial Units... That is eight inches taller. So that's a that's a sizable difference. That's a that's a big height differential for two athletes in the primes of their career. Um, so Maradona had to jump considerably higher to get this ball. So he jumps in the air and with his left fist, it was close to his head, but with his left fist, hits the ball with his hand to score a one zero goal against England. Now, um. Ultimately, at the very end, it was a 2-1 differential that led Argentina to win. So that goal actually was very important in factoring who won. Because without that goal, it would have been a tie, and they could have went to penalty kickoffs and so on and so forth. But it was protested by England, because when you watch watch it now – I mean, it's pretty obvious, and there there's a very famous photo that was shot by a Mexican photographer, and I'm, I apologize, I don't remember the name, but it, it clearly shows the ball being hit with Maradona's hand. Um, so England had protested, and the head referee went 
to a linesman, and they both upheld the call as they didn't have video, video replay yet. It was 1986. Um, so that came in, and later on, they ended up even winning the cup that year, the entire cup. They fought against uh, West Germany, and they won 3-2. to two, And uh, Maradona was actually the key player for Argentina the entire way through. Um, he's actually the reason why it's called the hand of God, because this is a quote from him after uh, the play. They were asking him if that was an illegal play or not. He said, a little hand, a little with the head of Maradona and a little with the hand of God is what he said <laughs> regarding that. And from then on, whenever there's a, a, an illegal handball that is not called, they call it a hand of God play. Um, which is hilarious. It, it, that that's that's how that that uh, term was coined. Um, but I mean, to give you an idea, just for those of you who don't watch soccer, how important that he was for this team. Uh, in that tournament alone, he had a tournament best ninety dribbles, which was three times more than any other player that played. He was fouled a record of fifty three times which is crazy. And he also had, he also won his team twice as many free kicks as any other player. Um, he had about 70% of assists as well in the goals. He actually had an assist in the game winning goal in the world cup match. So he was pretty astounding to be on the field. Another thing that, which is crazy to think about, it has nothing to do with the blown call as it, it, it was a pretty obvious blown call, but four minutes after that, to go up 2-0, Maradona hit what is known as the goal of the century, which is considered the greatest soccer goal mankind has ever seen. And it's it's crazy to think that he had a play where he hit the ball and scored with his hand and it wasn't called, and then four minutes later hit what is considered the greatest goal of all time. For reference to that goal you're, you're alluding to at the end, this is a goal essentially he takes it the length of the field by himself, dribbles, I think it's like eight people. It's the re it's actually a, a, a world record for the most players dribbled in a single goal. Um, and it was and for those of you who are wondering how important Maradona was, I would say he was you, you think I'll use a name people know now in soccer. He was the he was Lionel Messi for Argentina before Lionel Messi was was who he is for Argentina. Um, this was a guy who carried him. And like you said, Logan, this is another example of if this goal happened in soccer, uh, or and if it happened in 2022, where, where we are now, it doesn't happen. It, the uh, yeah, replay will show it's very obvious this happened. But because of the time that it happened, exactly. I mean, it was something to where it couldn't be overturned and – you know, again, it's such a boss move as well by Maradona to just go ahead. May he rest in peace, by the way. For him to at the end of, at the end of the game basically admit in an interview, "Yeah, I punched that ball into the net." <laughs> yeah, in in two thousand five, he 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 said, "Yeah, it did not hit my head at all." <laughs> um, uh, another thing, I, I just you you reminded me you're talking about Lionel Messi. Um, there was actually a quote. Um, and at the time, you know, one of the greatest to ever play uh, was Pele. Um, and uh, the quote was, 
this was for a, an article. It said no, no other player, uh, not even Pele in 1958 or Paolo Rossi in 1982 had dominated a single competition in the way uh, Maradona did in Mexico. Diego Maradona was something special, and it's shown for, you know, again, if you go back and watch some of his highlights in Pele, again, as you mentioned, uh, one of the most influential figures in, in soccer or football history, um, to be mentioned in the, in the conversation with those names, you've got to be doing something right. And again, Maradona, when you're talking about, from this call in particular, like you said, I think it doesn't get as much flack because of how masterful uh, the, the, the... And again, we keep urging you to do this. I might be able to play this. I'm not 100% sure how copyright works with uh, FIFA World Cup. But the the goal of the century that, that Logan's talking about, it is astounding. And it's something to where... Even someone who isn't as as well versed in in soccer, I can sit here and I can, I know some things, and I'm super excited for the World Cup coming up. But I mean, it's something that you look at it and you just know how impressive it was. But I think that's why this call doesn't get as much of a spotlight because the in theory, like people want to remember that goal. But like you said, this had a very tangible effect on the game because Argentina won by one. This could after after if it was tied, it would go to extra time, and then it may go to penalty kicks if this goal does not happen. So, again, another example of a call tangibly affecting the result of a game. Ooh, so I have a question. Yes, I guess it's I guess it's for basically anybody. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of soccer, um, and I understand uh, 1986. There's no like video replay review process or anything um if i were to watch world cup soccer this year 2022 is there any sort of like replay uh capability and uh refs looking at replay possibly overturning a call and if so what are those parameters to make that happen so I'm not 100% sure about the parameters, but they have this system called the Video Assistant Referee. And to my understanding, it's probably pretty much similar to in football with they have a little screen and you go and you look under the screen and they can replay multiple different angles and so on and so forth. Um, I imagine a lot of a lot of replay is like through um, offside calls or... Mm. At who who touched the ball, you know, so on and so forth. So I, I'll add on to that as well. To my knowledge, coaches cannot challenge through, through VAR. It has to be – there's it's, it's similar to how in uh, the NFL you've got what's called the booth challenge, and it's someone who is out of the stadium, not a referee, but they're watching this game from on camera, and they see something, and they say, okay, we need to review this. We need to look at this. Uh, it's kind of similar to that, and like Logan alluded to, it's to it's the main things it's used for are one offside calls to see what ends up if it was offsides, if it wasn't on time, was this run on time, and the other thing as well is to see if the ball crosses the goal line because the difference too is and it it can be used I believe for things like handball, uh, handballs things like that, but the main thing is in soccer. It's not like football, American football. American football, if the ball crosses the goal line at all, doesn't matter if it makes it all the way across, doesn't matter if it's just the nose, if it 
if any part of that football is above the line, it's touchdown. In soccer, the entire ball has to be over the goal line for it to count as a goal. So that's what VAR is mainly used for, that and offsides, but it can be used for things like handball, although to my knowledge, coaches cannot initiate challenges with it. So okay. it says the procedure, it, there are four categories for decisions that can be reviewed, and those are goals, no goals, which I believe this one could have been uh, VAR'd um, as it, it resulted in a goal. And so um, penalty and no penalty, uh, direct red card and or mistaken identity uh, in yellow or red cards. And yeah, so the... The main thing you were talking about, if it's a penalty or not, they, they look and they see. Because on a soccer field, or a, you have the two boxes in front of the goals. What that is is if a foul is committed of any of any um, intensity within those boxes, it's a penalty kick for the other team. So they'll do it, see if the foul was committed in there. And then, like Logan said, uh, I, I equate the red card thing to targeting in the NCAA, in NCAA football where they look – and they see is a challenge if you slide, if if you slide and you get none of the ball and you just completely sweep a player's leg, they're gonna look at the review and they're gonna say, okay, was he going for the ball? Whether was he trying to make a defensive play and it just didn't work that way, or was he just trying to sweep the leg? Was he just trying to kick him? And if there is intent, red card is is pulled and the player is sent off. Uh, if there isn't, most of the time it's just a yellow card and they play on. So, would y'all like to hear another fact about this game that actually has surfaced recently? Go for it. Yeah. So, May 4th, 2022. Uh, so, a little bit of backstory to this now. Uh, after the game, Maradona did a jersey swap with Steve Hodge. He was a midfielder for the England team. He sold that jersey in auction may 4th 2022 and he set a world record uh for a piece of sports memorabilia as in for price he sold it for seven million one hundred thousand pounds which in american dollars equate equals about eight million six hundred and sixty thousand dollars Wow, it's crazy to think. I mean, and you think people will buy, pay a bunch of money for that? They'll pay a bunch of money for baseball cards, just in general. I mean, sports memorabilia, it's it it fetches a pretty penny, and that's something that I've learned over the years with things like the T two hundred six Honus Wagner, Honest Wagner card, uh, really any kind of you know, home run balls in the in the MLB. It's it's crazy not- how many how much people will spend for a sports memorabilia. If I'm not wrong, I believe various leagues have their own websites even dedicated to auctioning off stuff like that. Because I know I used to look at the the NBA auction site after uh, a, the Sixers would play, as I'm a Sixers fan. So I would see who all had their game-worn jerseys available for sale, which, I mean... It's cool to have a game worn jersey, but like you know, like you know, it's all sweaty and like. <laughs> they have, you know they, what I mean. They have sites yeah. for them, and they also have them available in get in the pro shops most of the time, in the team shops as well. Mm-hmm. Cam, you were about to. I think you you were about to say something. That seems. Oh, I was gonna. Uh, well, there's a couple things I was gonna mention. The first one was uh, there is a website to get like memorabilia and stuff off of. I have. Um, 
a couple of things memorabilia wise like i have a chase claypool signed helmet that i got off of a website which is honestly one of my favorite things i i think and then the second thing i was going to mention when you all had talked about uh sports memorabilia selling was uh, a lebron james logo man card this year was pulled and sold for 2.5 million dollars it's a it's a one-of-one card with a lebron james patch from Miami, Cleveland, and Los or the Lakers, that was pulled pulled and sold this year within like the last three months. It's just again, I have in in uh, a collection I have, I have an autographed Allen Iverson rookie card that I know would be worth a pretty penny. And again, it's just it's it's crazy to see what people will spend on sports memorabilia. Anybody else with any other comments before we get to our special guest? Oh, so special. Well, Trev, you should feel special because I gave you your own wheel with your name on it and it landed on you. So the floor is all yours. Oh, but heck I, yeah. I, I just want to ask real quick, did you make that wheel while we were talking or did you have it prepared already? So uh, it, it was the exact same wheel I already had, but I just changed the names and I took the names I away. Just I, got you. Name I, was just, I was just curious. Oh, so I get renamed from the Logan Wheel. <laughs> no, you got renamed from the Three of Us Wheel, and I put just your name on it. Oh, was it me three times? You're like, oh, yeah. Trevor's gonna be. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be. It's gonna be one of them. It, it has the different colors, so even have been red, yellow, or white, Trevor. <laughs> there you go. All right. All so right. The floor is all yours. All right. So, um, my. Uh, the call that I have picked to talk about today, uh, very similar to the call that Blake mentioned earlier. Uh, I am going to be talking about the 1985 World Series uh, that was St. Louis Cardinals against uh, the Royals, the Kansas City Royals. Um, just so, so to set things up, um, the postseason, baseball postseason back in 1985 – uh, quite different than uh, postseason, uh, like nowadays. Uh, back then, there were four uh, total. There were still to the two divisions, and in each two divisions, American League and National League, uh, there were two conferences instead of three conferences, uh, and this resulted in a postseason that only consisted of four teams. Um, one team from the AL West, one team from the AL East one team for the NL East, one team from the NL West. Um, this postseason consisted of the Toronto Blue Jays and the Kansas City Royals on the AL side and the St. Louis Cardinals and the Los Angeles Dodgers on the NL side. Um, this is also the first postseason that uh, they introduced best of seven series. So everything before this, they had played less than seven games. They were best of five previously. Um, this postseason, they introduced the best of seven, and all three of the series went to either six or seven games to decide it. Um, so to paint the scene, um, the American League had won the All-Star game. So the home team for the, um, for the World Series was the American League team. Uh, in this case, it was Kansas City Royals. Uh, so, first two games of the World Series were played at 
uh, formerly known as Royals Stadium, uh, now known as Kauffman Stadium, renamed pretty recently. Uh, um, the call I'm talking about is going to be in Game 6. So, Game 6, we're going to be back in Kansas City. Um, currently, beginning of Game 6, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are up three games to two against Kansas City Royals, which means if St. Louis Cardinals win this game, they have won the 1985 World Series. If Kansas City wins this game, they go uh, the next day to a game seven, and whoever wins that game will win the World Series. Uh, so game six was pretty much a pitcher's duel for most of the game. Uh, not a ton of hits. Uh, the first run came in the eighth inning for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and the call that I would like to talk about is in the bottom of the ninth. So uh, we are currently uh, bottom of the ninth. Uh, Cardinals are up one to zero. So if Cardinals are able to get out of this inning without Royals scoring, they have just uh, secured the 1985 World Series. Um, so uh, bottom of the ninth starts. Uh, first batter is up. Uh, zero outs. Bases are empty. Uh, the Royals hitter, George Orta, uh, hits a routine ground ball uh, between first and second. Uh, so uh, Jack Clark, the current, well, at the time, the current Cardinals first baseman, uh, heads towards second base, field this ground ball, routine ground, uh, ground ball play. Um, the relief pitcher who was put in for the ninth inning, Todd Worrell, uh, does his normal job, uh, heads towards first base to cover it. So whenever first baseman uh, fields the ball, throw it back to the pitcher, who is now on first base, tag the base, runner will be out. Uh, and this is what happened. Um, first baseman fields ball, throws it to the pitcher. Pitcher catches ball, is standing on base a full step before George Orta, the Royals batter, um, had made it to first base. Uh, the umpire who was playing on the first base corner has called George Orta safe. Um, from what, from all the articles I've been able to read, uh, it seems that he had a good enough view to have seen that the ball was in the glove before the runner had touched the bag. Um, however, similar to uh, Blake's call earlier, it's actually almost the exact same call. Um, this runner was called safe, even though uh, if you watch videos of this uh, of this play from 1985, uh, the runner is clearly out uh, by a good like half second. Um, so uh, George Orta, the the batter, is safe at first. Um, this causes uproar um, in the few St. Louis fans that are in Kansas City right now, as well as for the basically the entire team. Um, and so now, uh, once everything settles, we'll go back to the game. Um, it is bottom of the ninth, zero outs with a runner on first. Um, this eventually leads to, uh, the next batter who is up ends up, uh, hitting a single advancing runners. Uh, well, we now have, uh, still zero outs runners at first and second. Um, the Royals catcher. I don't know his name off the top of my head. Uh, 
comes up as the third batter of the inning. Uh, he attempts to sacrifice bunt. Um, and for those who don't know what sacrifice bunt is, basically his goal is to bunt the ball, have both of the runners advance, and make the defense throw the ball to first to force him out. So his goal is to have, at the, at the end of his at-bat, have one out, now have runners at scoring position at second and third, which is a great opportunity for Kansas City to hit in some runs. Um, this attempt fails. Uh, he hits it right up the third baseline. Um, Cardinals third baseman was able to grab it uh, and force out the uh, previously safe at first George Orta at third. Um, and if this were the case, um, if if the case were, uh, I mean, if George Orta had been called out, um, chances are the catcher would not have bunted in the situation. However, if he had, uh, the defense would have gotten him out at first. Uh, this would have put uh, the, the Royals uh, runner on second with two outs, which is uh, pretty favorable for the Cardinals to finish out this inning and complete the game. Um, however, not the case. Currently one out, runners at first and second. Um, the Cardinals have decided to walk the next batter. Um, this puts in a routine ground ball play uh, all across the diamond. So bases loaded, one out, uh, force out at all the bases. Uh, so basically, no matter where the balls goes, uh, you can try to turn a double play, uh, which is also pretty favorable for the cards. Um, pretty strategic move. Um, however, the next batter that comes up uh, is able to hit a shallow, uh, shallow ball to right field. Uh, uh, the right fielder is able to field it, uh, throw it towards home. Uh, the the uh, runner who was at third has already scored, and the runner who was at second was rounding third. Uh, pretty close play at home. However, the runner was able to beat out the throw. Um, this scores two runs for the Kansas City Royals, uh, which means Kansas City Royals have just walked off game six of the World Series, two to one putting the World Series tied three games to three. Um, uh, this means Game 7 was played the next day. Kansas City Royals end up winning Game 7. Um, this call, I don't believe, directly caused St. Louis to lose this World Series. Um, and similar to what Blake said earlier, um, you can't really boil down uh, an entire game on one call that an official has. Because there are many other points in the game uh, that St. Louis could have scored, um, or if the right fielder was able to get that ball in quicker, they could have gotten the out at home, uh, leaving it 1-1 with two outs, uh, most likely pushing into over innings. Um, but yeah, if this call was correct, there is a good chance that St. Louis would have finished out the ninth inning of this game and uh, won the 1985 World Series. Um, not, I feel like this one isn't as big, um, I guess, as rules go. It doesn't, like, progress any rules. So, like, Blake Hughes was, uh, because of your call, it kind of 
introduced the review system into baseball for uh, basically all outs that you could do. Um, Cameron, yours, uh, your call uh, where the pass interference didn't happen. That made such a big uproar that fans tried to change rules and such. Um, this one didn't really have that effect. It did, however, uh, there is a very good chance that this call cost St. Louis their, uh, in 1985, what would have been their 10th World Series championship. I want to go ahead and start off by saying I think this is also one. This is one of the forgotten calls in MLB history because, again, a lot of people immediately go to Galarraga. They go to um, yeah, calls like that. But the thing about this one that makes it so different, too, and you were talking just now, you were saying how if the runner had been called, if order gets called safe at first, or gets called out at first, I should say, and the catcher comes up, he was, he's, he probably wouldn't bunt. Well, the important thing to note, too, is pitchers pitch entirely different with a runner on first compared to if they have no runners on. So not only if there was the case of he had the runner on first with one out, uh, he would have pitched differently. But if he also had no runners on with one out, he would have pitched to that for the runner on first completely differently as well. So it's mm-hmm. one of those things to where it completely changes up strategy. It completely changes. And I've seen the I've seen it several times, the play you're talking about. The umpire is directly on top of the bag. There really should not have been any choice. At first, because if I'm not mistaken, I believe the ump at first tried to say that he beat the throw, and then he tried to say that the pitcher had stepped off the the bag, that he was on the bag. It's just confusion all around. Um, and I also think this play gets overshadowed a little bit. As I, we actually, you and I were messaging a little bit off the air earlier. Whenever I thought I got confused, because I was thinking <laughs> of 1986 with the Red yeah. Sox and the Mets with the Bill Buckner play. Um, that wasn't a missed call; it was just an error. But that I think. It gets overlooked because it's in that same time frame. When you talk about mid-80s, that's the play that people go to. Um, but nevertheless, again, like you said, one of I had not a full tangible effect on the game, but when you're talking about a strategic uh, approach, the, the Cardinals have to play that, that entire ninth inning completely differently than they should have. And it ended up screwing themselves out of a chance for a World Series when – it should have been runner run, no runners on with one out, and that completely changes the entire dynamic of the ninth inning. Right. Uh, and like you said, uh, like we were talking about earlier, uh, momentum. So uh, Cardinals going into this uh, this last inning, we're feeling pretty good. Uh, if they can keep up pitching, they keep up defense, then they've just won the World Series 1985. Um, however, uh, this one bag call uh, produced this uh, change in strategy for the St. Louis defense, um, which, uh, like you said, made the pitcher pitch differently because now he has a runner on first, zero outs, instead of uh, bases empty with one out. Um, And uh, I think this this call of order being safe uh, kind of stopped... St. Louis momentum a little bit, uh, got in their heads just a little bit. And I think that also, uh, was the cause a little bit for, uh, the, the, the Royal scoring in the ninth inning. I want to also allude to something else. This is not because of a bad call. It's what I, per, I perceive as someone being called a scapegoat 
if you want a good example of what this did for momentum of the Cardinals, you can kind of compare it to the Steve Bartman incident with the Cubs back in 03 between the Marlins. A foul ball gets hit. Cubs are up three to uh, up three to nothing. Foul ball is hit. A fan reaches over the over the edge of the of the fence. This is before fan interference rules were the way they are now. So. He messes up the catch. Moises Alou is right underneath and gets super upset. Uh, but the fan is not ejected. He's not ta- thrown out of the game. Because now, if you if you commit fan interference, you're thrown out of the game as a fan. Uh, he wasn't thrown out of, the, out of the game. He stayed in his spot. That man, fan's name is Steve Bartman. And because of something so small, and it, even then, this wasn't nearly on this scale. This was a playoff game. And there was no run score on this play. Uh, Moises Alou could have maybe made the catch at, at the wall, but that was about it. It was in Wrigley Field in Chicago. Uh, but something as small as that where really nothing negative happened, when you talk about momentum, the Cubs then proceeded to give up eight runs in that one inning after that. Momentum is a very real thing. And in this case, I think that's a prime example as well because it's the Cardinals look around saying, well, we did what we were supposed to do. What else do you want us to do? Exactly, yeah. I'd like to add, um, first off, I, I really like watching old baseball videos on YouTube, like compilations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy that I had never seen this before, as this was a World Series event. And so since I had never seen it before, I, I was watching the video as you were discussing it. And I just want to say that it's wild to watch. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, obvious that he was out. um but like it's it's it was crazy because his the the batter his helmet was coming off his helmet fell on the ground i think there was another helmet that came in there somewhere it was bouncing around the pitcher he kept his leg on the base cuz you were like you were saying that he initially tried to say that his foot wasn't on the bag and i can see why he may have thought that but his foot was clearly on the bag the whole time he just did some kind of weird like ankle heel twist uh like as he was trying to reposition himself better but he was on the bag the whole time so uh, like uh, there was a whole swing of events watching that it was i was just astounded by how many different things was going on at the same time and, um and like 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 ooh, like blake was saying earlier uh with the ump that made the call that cost uh the the Tigers pitcher, the perfect game and how he came forth after it was like, Oh, I see now um, I've seen the play and replay. I see that I messed up. I apologize for this. Um, the official who uh, made this call uh, completely defends his call. Um, so he, uh, there are other interviews uh, with this guy uh, where the, uh, the interviewer is like, Hey, so this call uh, here, video footage of, uh, the runner clearly being safe, um, and he he defends like no from my angle he looked out. Um, he hears what I saw. Um, I believe that everyone is making like blowing this out of proportion. Um, it's just completely different than the official Blake talks about earlier. And I, think that- I was gonna say that um, I'm not very like well versed in baseball, so I ended up watching this while you were talking about it just to get a better understanding. And the mm-hmm. reaction from the Cardinals is pretty much says it all like the immediate reaction from just the whole team, the whole dugout. And then the reaction of the umpire getting in his face, defending his call. It's just why it was wild to watch. And it's looking to talk the runner 
tripped over the base, helmet flew off. It, I mean, yeah, it's, it goes to show, too, because like you were t- what you were talking about just now, Jim Joyce, actually, a lot of people respect him because he came out. And, again, he was literally in tears. Like, listen, I screwed up. I can't believe I've done this. The fact that he just went in and was so cocky about it. Yeah, I was wrong, and I'm owning it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't. The other thing, too, um, Logan, you alluded to it as well. Like, again, if you watch the video, there is – I know it's hard. I know being an umpire is very, very hard. Like I said, I'm not trying to say that it's not hard. I've done it. But there is no reason – from where he was standing, the vantage point he had, there is no reason that that call should have ever been the way it was. And as chaotic as it was, because it seemed like even the umpire didn't really know why he called him safe. But at the end of the day, he was saved first base. Mm-hmm. Um, any last comments from Trev or uh, Logan? Cam, if you would like to, any counter arguments or questions? Oh. Uh. I guess I have a question for all three of you all because, like I said, you're all more well-versed in baseball than I am because I watch baseball casually. I'm more of like a in-real-life baseball person more than ba- – or like on TV just because there's so many games and I don't really have like a favorite team, mostly just because the Pirates aren't uh, aren't, as, aren't as good as – I am sorry for you if you are a Pirates fan. Yes, same here. That's the one Pittsburgh team I won't represent. But I guess the question I have is, compared to other sports, how often do you think calls are missed in baseball compared to, like, football and basketball? Like, do you think there's a sport that has more missed calls than others, or do you think each sport kind of has, like, their fair share? So, so I, uh, I I think this is kind of a loaded question uh, because – in baseball, there are so many calls. Yeah, that's uh, so, what I was going to say. <laughs> there are uh, – each team plays 162 games just in the regular season. Um, and in each of those games, um, there is a call technically for every pitch. Um, and uh, a major league game will have between like 180 and 300 pitches or so. And then every play that happens, uh, there will be a call of some sort. Um, so I think just by sheer number of calls, uh, baseball is going to have the most missed calls. Uh, but if you think about it, maybe percentage wise, like what is the percentage of missed calls in this sport versus this other sport? I really, I'm not really sure. Honestly, my answer I'm going to give is kind of similar to that. And I want to say this, um, for reference, I, I found this, this stupid number out a while ago, um, but it's like there are a total of two thousand over two thousand scenarios that can happen in a baseball game when you're talking about you know a certain you know a, a, a double play to these to these players a ground ball to this place. There's two thousand things that can happen in a baseball game, which is an absurd thing to think about. But when you're talking, I do agree with you. the The question I think that you're also kind of wanting to know, Cam, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're are, you may be thinking like, which sport when it comes to more influential calls getting missed? Because me, maybe I uh, should have reworded the more like impactful calls, maybe. And in my answer to that, I would say it depends on the situation. But for me, 
for my viewing experience, I would say baseball probably has more. And it's because... Now, maybe not... Okay, I should rephrase it. Maybe not in this day and age now that coaches can review and things like that because challenges have been in the NFL for a minute now. Uh, basketball, they've been for a couple of years. And even then, officials towards the end... What, even though you may not necessarily agree with the call they make, they it fit the... You know, some sometimes a call in the fourth quarter didn't what or happens in the fourth quarter, but didn't happen earlier in the game. But they can still follow the rules. The reason I say that baseball, every single bit of it, they have rules obviously, and now they have replay. But so much of the game is on the decision of the umpires. The thing with basketball, a ref can fix a game. They can. And don't get me wrong, it's happened before in the NBA, whether they want to admit it or not, uh, and things like that. And it's it's still easy for them to do that. But if one team is just supernova and making every shot, there's not much a ref can do that can out- change the outcome of the game. With a baseball game, unless a team is going out and pimping home runs every single first pitch and things like that, an umpire has so much control over the game. And I'm not saying they're fixing games, but... It's very easy to have a lapse of judgment and and miss a call in baseball because of how much how much responsibility you have, and therefore it is much more impactful than uh, a, a football game or a basketball game, at least in my point of view. Go going into that, I mean, the, the ideal game of baseball is it just it never ends, and and in that ideal situation of baseball, um, the home plate umpire is really the only one doing anything um in the in the in umpiring's point of view i mean you know that you could have another one for check swings but i mean you know how how often does that happen so there's a i saw this really good video on youtube it was a, it was talking about um whether the uh they should have the automatic because they have a laser system now um, and it actually it actually won a daytime Emmy when it uh, premiered in baseball television that shows you the batter's box and it shows you where the pitch comes in, tells you what kind of pitch it is, how fast it was. And they can use that. Te- they could use that technology now to basically make the home plate umpire only make calls at the plate in uh, base running situations. Um, but it. It's it's a hard thing to do. A first off, the the union doesn't want to do that, and I I kind of tend to agree with that. I think I like having the the different abilities of that. It it takes away like a lot of people be like, oh, it takes away from baseball stuff like that. Um, but whatever. Um, they have a there's a Twitter account that after each game it'll give you a grade sheet and it'll show you how an umpire calls each game. Um, you could see where they m- have missed calls based on their batter's box, but um, and that's how it's seen. A lot of batter's boxes tend to look more outside than inside, and so on and so forth. But it it definitely does have a difference between each uh, home plate umpire. Robot umpires have been a thing that people have been talking about doing for a while, and you're either it's if there's not many people that are kind of in the middle of that. You either have the people who are all about it because they want the calls to be 100% correct. They want it to just completely get rid of bad calls in general. But then you also have the side who is entrenched in saying, we want the human error. The human error is what makes baseball baseball. Um, 
we, we like the way it is. And, and kind of like what you were alluding to there, Logan, it's one of those things to where people have been kind of discussing this for a while. And I think to answer your question, Cam, that kind of shows that more impactful missed calls happen in baseball. Not because the officials are, are that much worse, you know, the umpires are worse, but the fact that there's just so much responsibility on them and so many things like Trevor was alluding to, so many situations that can happen in baseball and so many things and so many games that you're bound to slip up at some point. Trev, any other comments or before we get to voting? I think that's all for me. All right. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and send in your votes. So the three of you, if I could have you send me a Snapchat message with your vote in it. Uh, I have each. This time I have all four of our names on a wheel. So we're all together here on this wheel. Um, I will be spinning it. Whoever it lands on, I will reveal their vote. And just for transparency, again, on YouTube, people can see. I've decided to start doing this because I realized I hadn't been doing that the past couple weeks. Um, I'm going to be writing my vote down right here next to me. So you can see right here that I am writing it down just so that way there is no accusations from there. So I'd like to see a conspiracy theory say that you write down each of our names on a sheet of paper and you switch between every, every single one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you they, decide they, I, I mute up and you hear it. So that way you don't hear the bunch the of shuffling. Tearing, the tearing I have to do. Yeah. Okay. So each, I have each vote here right now. So spinning the wheel and revealing the first vote it will be Trev. So, Trev, I will be revealing your vote. Trevor has decided to vote on Episode 7 for myself. Trev, can you explain your reasoning and why you picked Galarraga's perfect game? Yeah, so um, I think, like you said, this call was so impactful. Um, not for, like, a championship or anything like that, but just because uh, a perfect thing a perfect thing a perfect game is one of the hardest things that you can do in sports it really is like you said there's been uh under 30 uh perfect games ever recorded um and this call uh was just so impactful that it cost a pitcher this amazing thing that he could put on his record that he has done in sports um and i feel like also um, with the introduction in baseball of the uh, video review system uh, a couple years prior uh, that had not been implemented for these types of plays, I think that this one, uh, not this one particularly, but this is such a big reason that they extended it out to uh, plays at bases and not just uh, fair and foul balls and such like that. Um, and it, it introduced, uh, I, I guess it introduced, um, the, the challenge rule, uh, in its most used sense nowadays, uh, most teams challenge plays, uh, at whatever base it could be. Um, and I think that just because this call was so impactful for that pitcher, not able to getting a perfect game and, we still see the re the repercussions of this nowadays. Um, I think that your the the one that you brought up was the most impactful in the sport. 
for reference, 23 perfect games since 1880. That goes back, well, you know, we're talking at this point, over 150 years ago. and, and Or, excuse me, over 140 years ago. And there's only been 23 in existence. So, like you Is said. about how many games of baseball are played each season? Um, I could definitely figure that out for you. It would be over 218,400 games. There have been That's 23. Insane. And that times roughly 140, there have been 23 perfect games. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's – and again, like, I said, like you said – to have that taken away from you over mm-hmm. something that should not have happened is is just crazy. So, one vote for myself as I go ahead and spin the wheel to see whose vote will be revealed next. It's close. It will be me. So, as you as you can see on YouTube, and you may be able to hear on Spotify, I am tearing the paper that has my vote on it. Um, I don't have I I don't have uh, I, I did not write it in reverse. But before I reveal it, I want to go ahead and, and give a couple of prefaces here. Everybody here again, like like I talked about last week, they're getting very very hard to choose from. Logan with the hand of God, Cam with the uh, Saints and Rams, Trevor with the Cardinals and Royals. This is a these are things that I I, I like so many things individually. You know, Cam, I like the fact that. This is a more recent one. This is something that changed a lot in the state of the NFL that we know it in in this day and age. Logan, I like the fact that this is something in the world and in, in the the biggest sporting event in in the world. You know, Super Bowl on a yearly basis, but the, the World Cup is a different beast. And for it to be an event like that, and then Trev, something that completely changed the momentum and changed the way that a World Series game was going and basically decide helped decide a World Series um, is something that's not seen often either. By the way, also, I, I, I talked about it a little bit with the most clutch performance of all time. If you haven't seen that episode, go back and check it out with David Freeze. But kind of dumb how playoff, work system, how playoff systems worked back in the day where the home field team got the last two or three games. I believe it was the last, when it was seven games, it was the last three games at, uh, or excuse me, no, it was the last two games at home, and it just didn't mm-hmm. make any sense. So, yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that people don't realize with that call, too, is it's something where not only would it screw over the cards from not winning in Game 6, but it made them have to go on the road in a hostile Game 7. So I really like the nuances with that take as well. But at the end of the day, I have to pick one. And my vote goes to... It's backwards on the camera, but it's Cam. Uh, Cam, I liked I liked the vo- I liked it a lot because this is one again. I think it checks every box. Um, the Cardinals, the yeah, Trev, yours was closed as well. Same thing with you, Logan, because it sh- they these should have been called. The officials were in positions; they should have called this. But this one with the Rams and the Saints beats anything I have ever seen. There have been there were Saints fans in the stadium that were it is not often you see a call made for a team and their fans look confused like their fans typically cheering like, oh my god we got away with one even they were like what huh and not only that but again I think this ultimately flipped every bit of momentum whatsoever the Saints had going in their way and it completely 
caused the Rams or, or led to the Rams capturing it back and winning in overtime. Again, definitely could have been some things that the Ram that the Saints still did to win that game. But this is one of the prime examples of a call of a play happening directly in front of the attention of the official, and yet they do nothing to stop it. And like you were saying, Cam, before, when you were saying, well, it makes you wonder, what in the world were they looking at? If this isn't a, if this is not a pass interference call, what in the world were they looking at? Close second in this was you, Trev, and the re- I'll tell you the entire reason it separates yours separated from Logan was because you're the tidbit of the umpire not relinquishing that he had messed up the call because to me that means he was wrong twice um, is is unbelievable. But again, from a from a standpoint of the way we view the NFL now and just from the how egregious it was. Cam gets my vote for this call. Up next, revealing their vote, it will be Cam. So one vote for myself and one vote for Cam. The vote for Cam goes to Logan. Cam, why'd you choose the hand of God? And just uh, explain your reasoning. I'm choosing Logan's just sort of similar for the reason that you chose mine. I feel like it checks every box. And I feel like if you search on YouTube, like a highlight of missed calls in sports history, the chances of you seeing the hand of God goal are honestly over a hundred percent. I mean, I would almost guarantee that the majority of people who have seen that play, who don't even have to watch soccer, is part of the reason I'm choosing this, just because of like the popularity of it, the historical aspect of it. I'm a huge sucker for history, and I think this is like one of those plays where it's like a lot of people know about that play, and they don't have they haven't even had to have watched a whole soccer game before. So that's part of the reason I'm choosing. I think it's just, it fits every box. It's a great pick. I like everyone's pick. Obviously, everyone did a great job this week. I just think this one really fits every box, and I think it's just it's a it's a good pick and. Obviously, the other goal during the game makes this pick a little better, I think, also, just because of just the amount that's happened during this. So that's that's the reason I'm choosing Logan this week. I think it was a good pick. The goal that definitely is known by even the most casual sports fan. It's just un- it's it's it really is an unbelievable call in itself that it was missed. So the final vote to be revealed uh, before before. <laughs> I'm freaking out right now, man. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure you're seeing my message right now. So j- j- there's a vote for me, a vote for Cam, and a vote for Blake. And my vote, and Blake can contest this, is for Trevor. It was for Trevor, as, as it as I see right here, Trev did receive the final vote. So co-champions again for the first time since episode one. Logan, Logan, would you like to give your reasoning? So first off, I'm going to say I'm mad that I'm co-champion again because I've never been a solo champion. (laughs) (laughs) This is the second time I've been co-champions though. So (laughs) I guess it means something. But I will say the reason I picked Trevor was because I I do enjoy baseball. And uh, recently I've gotten a lot more into it and – um, when I watch this play, like I said before, there's so much going on, but even though that's the case, it's, it's crazy to think that it wasn't called. And, you know, I had seen the almost perfect game before and that, that, it, that hurts a lot as, you know, that was a perfect game taken away. Um, 
And in the case of the Saints, you know, I mean, you know, it, they lost that playoff game arguably because of that call. And, um, and you know, like, like I said before, we're not going to say that that's the whole reason. There are other reasons why that happened. But uh, the Rams didn't even end up winning the Super Bowl after that. So it, it's not like, you know, <laughs> you know, anything crazy. But I digress. I think that it's crazy that that happened in a World Series game. And, you know, and, you know, I hadn't heard about it. it it's it's almost like it's starting to die out. Right. Yeah, yeah so I think that, it, I think because I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that all I was going to say was that's why I give my vote to Trevor. So. Yeah, I, I think because it happened so long ago um, and it wasn't quite as big as the call that you brought up, Logan. That since it's been uh, nearly 40 years since this World Series, it's just kind of been forgotten about. And again, like like I alluded to, it's right around the same times as the Bill Buckner play, like the Kirk Gibson, Kirk Gibson home run. Like there's a lot of moments in this in this period of time. Also pointing out, Logan, yeah, you, you, it's important to mention that that the Rams, after beating the Saints, did not win the World uh, win the Super Bowl. In fact, they played in one of the most boring Super Bowls in a long time. Maybe only bested it, or I should say, lesser. Um, I always said, well, that was lesser was the, the they, Broncos they was the Broncos and the Seahawks in which the Broncos just got <laughs> just demolished. But this was yeah, the, the Rams went on to play in the Super Bowl. They lost Tom Brady and the Patriots thirteen to three in the in the in the Super Bowl. And and that's I think that's part of the reason too why so many Saints fans hold on to this so much. One again, they have an absolute every right to, but two. It's hard to argue the Saints had a ch- the Saints had a legitimate shot, especially if the pa- if the Patriots played the way they did in the Super Bowl against New Orleans as well. New Orleans had every chance to win the Super Bowl that year, but the Rams they beat them in the Superdome and they go and they put up one of the worst offensive performances in Super Bowl history. Um, but you know it is what it is, and and like like you said, Trev, this is a, it's a forgotten moment in MLB history, but. Very, very, very big impact on the the series that not as many people look at whenever you're talking about famous World Series in the past. But for the first time, we have a four-way tie amongst all of us. We had again, we like Logan alluded to in, in episode one. We had co-champions. Uh, myself and Logan took home that episode. Spoiler alert: if you haven't seen the first episode, but. Um, this this week, this is something that is unprecedented. It's never and the entire reason again, we do this, we do the voting style because I did not want people to vote, you know, based off of who everybody else was voting for. And that's exactly what happened. I had written down Cam, Cam votes for Logan, Logan votes for Trevor, and Trevor votes for myself. So we're all winners. Everybody's a winner in, in my book. Um, so here, here's how this is going to play out, all right? Tomorrow, we're going to have a mud wrestling competition, <laughs> and the winner gets the trophy. The winner gets the role in Discord for the week at that point. Uh, 
Yeah, so that's going to do it for Episode 7 of Taking Heat. Once again, if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button if you're listening on YouTube. Go follow the podcast on Spotify. And if you're listening on YouTube, go follow the podcast on Spotify. And if you're listening on Spotify, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's a lot to do. But you're capable human beings. I know you can do it. Be sure to check out their other episodes. Let me know if you're listening on YouTube down in the comments if you would like to see something, if you'd like to see a certain topic. Uh, if you're if you don't agree with our picks, you have another call you want to talk about, be sure to let me know down in the comments. And you can also reach out to us. Our social media links are down in the in the description as well, so you can reach out on there and tell us what you think about the podcast. If you'd like to see us do something differently or not, again, code champions for the first time since week one, and really the only time this has ever happened with four. So we will figure out who is going to come up with the topic, and we'll figure that out in the next episode. But uh, a good episode nonetheless. Anybody else have any other comments before we send it off? Uh, none for me. We will see you tomorrow night. <laughs> and we will see you <laughs> tomorrow night. Joe Buck, that pleases the Cardinals fan, Trevor, here in the call. <laughs> uh, I love 2011. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with that being said, again, Thank you for listening to Taking Heat. My name is Blake Holmes, and alongside Cameron Woolwine, Trevor Tidwell, and Logan Porter, we've had a great time here tonight, and I hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and taking that line. We will see you next week. Have a great week. <laughs>